0: Dr. William Nuttall, thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. We're, we're taking a, a look at helium, how it's used, how it's produced, and, and um, what's happening in terms of demand and supply today. Let's begin by asking you how helium is used.
1: Helium is used in a wide variety of technological applications in two forms. Uh, one is a very cold liquid which is used primarily for cooling magnets in, in medical and scientific applications, uh, and also as a gas, um, which is inert uh, and which can uh, be used for uh, cleaning out or purging, to use the jargon, um, gas tanks that would contain flammable um, materials. It can be used, It's used in welding as a cover gas. It's used by deep-sea divers as a breathing mixture, Uh, and in in increasing quantities in recent years it's been used by the fiber optic industry and the electronics industry.
0: Is there a revived interest in helium today and if so why?
1: Well helium has actually got a very long history throughout the 20th century and into the 21st century so interest has has been there for very many years, uh, way back to the days of the uh, rigid airships of the 1930s. Uh, But interest comes and goes uh, in helium um, and the helium industry has changed over the years. Um, America still plays a, a dominant role, but increasingly it's becoming a, a global business with a, a broad range of players. And yet, uh, despite this broadening of supply, there are occasional, uh, there are t- occasional crises and, and uh, tightenings of the market that cause concern to the end users who are trying to um, gain access to helium for their needs.
0: The main suppliers of helium are...
1: There are, there are five um, major companies in the uh, Western or global market of commercial helium. Um, they're, in alphabetical order, uh, Air Liquide, Air Products, uh, the combined company BOC linde Praxair in the United States, and then from Japan there's uh, Nippon Sansa.
0: And, and so... If if you've got the, those kind of suppliers, what about the demand side? I believe the U.S. is it's very significant.
1: Well, the U.S. has a long and uh, historic relationship with helium. It, it was the the country that first developed helium, and it has uh, it's blessed with having um, the best geological supply of helium. And uh, it took a strategic view about at helium in the in the mid twentieth century. And so, um, the United States very carefully husbanded its helium resources. Uh, under the what is now the, the Bureau of Land Management and its so-called cliffside field. And um, so the United States, at points in history, has had an effective monopoly on, on the supply of helium and has been able to control uh, the access of uh, foreign countries to that helium. Um, but, but, it, but in recent decades, um, it's become much more of an international market operation. Uh, but the role of the United States, both its companies and its federal government, is still... Of of central importance uh, to the helium market. Uh, But it's noteworthy that the uh, U.S. government has decided that by 2015, um, an intention to ramp down its strategic helium stocks and to uh, um, sell them into the um, global market. However, as we speak, uh, all are awaiting a a new U.S. government report that's expected imminently, uh, which is expected to make uh, fresh recommendations about uh, U.S. resources, reserves and supply.
0: Will it become better used in the future?
1: Um, Here at Cambridge University, we've been conducting a system dynamic study jointly between Cambridge Judge Business School and the Department of Materials Science and Metallurgy uh, under the support and sponsorship of two entities, the industrial gases company, BOC, Linda, and Cullum Centre for Fusion Energy. And coming together, uh, a PhD student, Jim Minkai, has done a system dynamic study looking at exactly this question, the um, predicted uh, future dependence of price and quantity uh, of helium supply. And as a consequence of that modeling, uh, and it depends upon some assumptions, uh, the broad conclusion is that helium won't really reach a peak, it will reach a plateau from around the year 2030. and. Uh, that plateau will be at substantially higher uh, volumes than are um, in the market today, or uh, almost double today's volumes. Um, but then that plateau will continue without further growth until about the year 2080, at which point helium uh, supply into the market will decrease uh, quite markedly.
0: So then w- will we see the market increase or, or contract? I mean, how will the, the market react to helium in the future?
1: Well, um, one of the things that comes out of our model is the price behavior of helium. Uh, and we we do see a, a steady uh, rise in prices throughout the, the, the period where helium supply is maintained, right up beyond the year 2080. So, so the helium prices rise from today's levels by a factor of roughly six. Uh, and, and so the market will function and, 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 and there will be price responsiveness. But one thing to understand about helium is that it's, uh, it's essentially an oligopoly with only... With only five suppliers in the in the global market, um, another thing to to say about helium is it 's a very unusual commodity and that 's one of the reasons that we were interested to study it um, because it 's a byproduct of natural gas and um, with most um, resources I- I- if you don 't use them well they they stay essentially under the ground uh, to be used potentially at a later date that 's not the case with helium. helium as a byproduct of natural gas is such that um, it, it has to be extracted from the natural gas in order to be made available for use. And if the helium doesn't enter the global supply chain, um, then it stays within within the gas, within natural gas, uh, and then is taken through the whole natural gas supply chain till finally an end user, like an industrial facility or even a domestic house, combusts it, burns it, uh, at which point the helium enters the atmosphere. So, so any helium that's, that's not extracted and used uh, will in fact run through the natural gas supply chain and be lost. It's not kept safe for a later date.
0: And, and do you think it offers any solutions in terms of the broader global energy predicament that the world finds itself in? You say that, that the US is really the significant player.
1: Well, the relationship between helium and energy is an interesting thing. As I've, I've said, it's a, it's a byproduct of natural gas. So it's a, it's a byproduct of, of, of one of the fuels of, let's say, the 20th century. And yet it's extremely important for certain energy options of the second half of the 21st century. And here I'm broadly thinking about various forms of nuclear energy. Um, It's fair to say that helium is not much used in in energy industry today. But um, advanced nuclear energy systems are likely to need a lot of helium. Uh, And I'm thinking particularly of two types. One is um, fission power plants, so the fundamental physics of today's nuclear power plants. Uh, increasingly wanting to go to higher temperatures uh, would use helium as as the gas to turn the um, the generator set, so rather than boiling water to steam you you 'd run helium through the generator set and use that to turn the turbines and much greater uh, efficiency. The other future nuclear energy source that could need a lot of helium uh, is nuclear fusion energy if nuclear fusion energy is is uh, going to going to work it's going to rely at least in its conventional form of magnetic fusion on very very large magnets and the simplest and, and and most obvious route to making those magnets work is to make them of so-called superconductors which have to operate at very very low temperatures and helium has the fundamental property that it's um it's the the coldest liquid th- that there is uh, and so uh, it, it it boils at uh, minus 269 uh, uh, centigrade and so uh, yes it's a it's a wonderful cryogenic liquid for cooling magnets and uh, the fusion power station of the future would have some of the largest magnets all cooled with liquid helium so so these two nuclear energy sources of advanced fission power systems and nuclear fusion systems are likely to need a lot of helium in the late 21st century but where will it come from given as i say that it's a byproduct of the natural gas industry and I hear that for climate change reasons, we're supposed to be getting out of fossil fuels.
0: So that's the big cliffhanger, is it? Whether actually it, it's there waiting to, to emerge, to become a bigger market in the future, or if perhaps it just gets forgotten as something that's a byproduct of something from the last century.
1: Well, I think that the point is that as the prices rise, as, as they will, um, some users will substitute out and they, they will be able to achieve their needs with alternative uh, roots now one of the uh, at risk, risk of being somewhat flippant one of the uses of for helium is um as a lifting gas but that sounds a bit technical uh, for balloons yes. uh, including party balloons and uh, i should say that people are willing to pay quite a lot of money for helium for their party balloons it gives you a squeaky voice it right? gives you a squeaky voice yes uh and um yes so so of course you don 't have to have party balloons. Uh, you could have some other way of celebrating a birthday party so it 's easy for them to to substitute out. more importantly um, for instance, the medical equipment medical scanners uh, also involve uh, magnets and they have been cooled with uh, to low temperature and uh, historically, they would use uh, a lot of liquid helium but increasingly um, that technology is evolving. So that rather than working with a, a, a tank of liquid helium, uh, they work with compressed gases, uh, with pulsating pumps that, through a different uh, thermodynamic process, achieve the low temperatures needed to operate the scanner. Um, so these these new scanners uh, use so-called dryogenics. They, they don't actually use any liquid uh, coolants at all, um, but they do need uh, compressor pumps uh, running all the time uh, in order to keep c- cold. And so what you're doing in that case is you're substituting your demand for liquid helium uh, with a demand for electricity because the, these compressor pumps uh, are, are very uh, energy-intensive.
0: So it's a fascinating field to study at the moment because very much the jury's out.
1: Yes, and I think the, the relationship of the United States to, to the future of helium it will, will will be very interesting. Um, Will the United States uh, really um, ramp down their uh, strategic supplies? Um, Will they be largely replaced by new international entrants from the liquefied natural gas industry in particular? Um, Because uh, increasingly the natural gas industry is moving to um, shipments based on liquefied cold natural gas, and that favours helium extraction. So uh, helium is going to be coming from more and more places from around the world. Uh, It's going to be... coming from more places, perhaps with a larger number of players. And there's even the prospect that um, some adventurous companies might say, well, we won't just extract helium as a byproduct of natural gas. We'll actually go looking for helium gas under the ground just for the helium, uh, exploration for helium. And th- 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 there's just the first signs that this is underway. So I, I think looking ahead, th- there will be change. There'll be change on the demand side for helium. There'll be change of the helium supply. Uh, but the next 10 years are going to be very interesting indeed.
0: Well, you've certainly taught me a lot today, Dr. William Nuttall. Thank you very much indeed for talking to the Cambridge Judge Business School podcast series today. I've enjoyed it very much.
1: (laughs) Thank you, Bonnie.